that up. You're welcome. All right, so obviously Eric is on vacation, and I am covering for him. Yay, fun. And I'm going to do something wild and crazy. Um, not that. Sorry, I'm going to adjust my mic a little bit. There we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do something crazy before we, uh, before I start preaching this sermon. I'm going to read what we're covering, and you're going to think I'm mad because I'm going to take you through the entire, through the whole chapter three of Acts. Like we're covering the whole thing. I know. Deep breaths. It might take us a while. I'm just kidding. It really won't. Um, but to start out, I want to read you the story. Because the beauty of reading a book like Acts is it's telling a story. It's a narrative. And it's telling us the beginnings of the church. And so we've been kind of walking through Acts. And Eric, is, or Pastor Eric, I should say, just to be more professional, he's been walking us through the book of Acts. And the whole time he's been challenging us as the church to be the church by pointing us back to where the church started and how they ran and how they did things and, and to encourage us to kind of do the same thing. And so this morning we're going to continue on that. And, and I'm going to cover a whole chapter because I, I, I just I couldn't only preach a section of it. There's just It's all kind of connected. Um, and, and so I'm going to read all of Acts chapter 3, and then we'll jump in. So here we go. Bear with me. Starting in verse 1, Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? <clears throat> or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man 
this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by running every, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. We did it. You guys still awake? All right. (laughs) I don't know if you're awake on Facebook Live or not, but I hopefully, you know, maybe you get a nice nap, if anything, this morning. Okay, so... I just read through this entire section of Acts, and the goal is, is this morning we're going to kind of look at it from a bird's eye view. A lot of times when we preach through a text or when someone preaches through a text, they'll kind of go through it uh, verse by verse. But this morning the goal is, is we're going to kind of look at the broader story and we're going to kind of pick out what... Um, what, what is happening and, and what God maybe might have for us this morning as, as we walk through this narrative. Um, there's a saying uh, that's pretty popular, most people say. People always say books are better than movies, right? right? Like the book is always better than the movie. And if you think about it, At first, maybe one would be tempted to be like, well, wait, I mean, come on, let's give movies a chance here. Movies show us a picture, moving picture, in fact, and we get to watch the story unfold before our eyes. And some movies do a really good job of representing a certain book. I will argue that the best movie adaptation of a book series would be Lord of the Rings, hands down. All right? All my nerd brothers and sisters say hallelujah. All right? No no one? It's really quiet in here, guys. Um, And and so I would say that... Oh, I'm sure he is. Um, And and so I, I would say that, yeah, like using Lord of the Rings as an example, just to nerd out for a second, just bear with me. Peter Jackson did an excellent job of adapting this epic trilogy series book into a movie. Like, he did a really good job. I mean, no one knew what an org looked like until Peter Jackson came around. No one knew how handsome Legolas was until Peter Jackson came around, right? But there's, it's, it's interesting because though he did an amazing job, he still didn't do it justice to the book, right? Like, there are characters in the book that aren't even mentioned in the movie. Did you know at the end of The Return of the King, in the book, 
the hobbits don't just like win the day and go home and relax like they do in the movie. No, no. They have to go back and beat up a bunch of orgs and goblins who had taken over the Shire. They had to go back and fight their way to get the peace. And so there's like a whole other story in there that's never ever mentioned in the movies. Yeah. And, and so when we look at that phrase, the book's always better than the movie, it's true, right? The movie, though it is poppy and it's right there in your face, you get to see the action happening, it's always not as good as the book because the beauty of a book is that when you read a story, you get to picture the action in your head, and you get to use your imagination. And the book can describe in more detail uh, the character development as the story progresses or give you more details about, uh, for instance, what a character looks like that a movie can never really pull off, right? Like a movie gives you the poppy, right now, in your face, temporary fun, but the book gives you a lasting story that, that it's just, it's more developed. It's deeper. The story is told in a far better way that really up until this point can be told in a movie because the movie tries to cram a whole book into like, what, two hours? Or sorry, in Peter Jackson's case, four and a half, five hours, right? And in the case of this, we, we see that movies offer like a temporary Fixed, something that's uh, quick and, and in your face and awesome that you can see. But when it comes to a book, you have to relish it. You have to think. You, have to, you actually have to read, right? Who wants to do that? That takes work. But you get, end up getting the deeper and deeper story of it. And, and so I'm going to walk you through this story quickly. I'm not going to take too much time because I know you're thinking, oh, Acts chapter 3, that's like 26 verses and we're going to be here all day. No, actually, it'll probably go faster than you think. And, and so we're going to walk through this story. And, and, and my goal is, is that um, a lot of times when narrative stories are preached, um, it's, it's hard to decide whether the story is prescriptive or descriptive. You know what I mean when I say that? Like, is the book of Acts prescribing how we're supposed to do church? Or is it literally just a narrative story, a description of how the church started and what they did? Or is it both? And, and so the goal is, is, is maybe I'm going to show you that it's, that it's both. And I believe Eric has been you know, doing the same thing. And, and so let's walk through this story. Last week, the church had just started. Uh, the church had been uh, increased. They hadn't been enjoying uh, fellowship, and they have been enjoying you know, helping each other out. The church has just started. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, right? They're like doing life together. And as the story goes on, we have, well, this story. And it starts out with Peter and John going to the temple together. And, and so they go during midday, as the text says, and, and what's happening is, is they're going during probably one of the more crowded times of the temple. There's a lot of people there. It's midday. Everyone's been working. Um, in, in the Jewish tradition, they would go back and forth to the temple and pray at least three times a day, if I'm not mistaken, right? And so this is the third time they've come to the temple today to pray. And, and so they enter into the scene. They're walking into the temple. This is something the church would have done at first in the beginning because they hadn't been persecuted yet. 
Though it is worth mentioning that this story is actually what starts the persecution. And Eric will cover that next week in Acts chapter 4. And, and so they walk into the temple and enters a character, the lame man. He doesn't give him a name. He's just the lame man. And he's carried in and he's put outside of what they call the beautiful gate. And his job, because he can't really offer or do, like add to, he can't work, he can't take care of himself, he can't provide for a family. The only thing he can do is beg and ask for alms or really just ask for money. And the reason that they would have laid him outside of the temple is, is the assumption is, is that these Jews are going back and forth in the temple three times a day to pray, which makes you assume, oh, they're devoted Jews. Therefore, uh, if they know the Old Testament law, then they're going to know that a part of being a part of the temple and being a Jew is you take care of the least of these. And so they would sit outside the temple and ask for alms because they were, the people walking by were expected to give them money. And so that's how this lame man lived. And so as the story progresses, we see the lame man get in his normal spot. He's doing his normal thing. And he notices Peter and John walking by. And, and maybe he had heard of Peter and John before. Like maybe they had a rep. You know, they knew of them. Oh, those are the apostles, that Jesus guy who died recently, right? Like maybe he knew of them. Or maybe he just, by happenstance, happened to look at them. We don't know. But he looks at them and he sees them. And he calls up to them specifically and says, hey, you know, he asks for alms. He says, hey, can you hook a guy up? I need some money. I, I need to survive. This is how I make my way in life. I can't do anything else but ask. And something beautiful happens, I think. Normally, like, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a city, but um, normally when there are beggars in the streets, most people who even just give them change, they kind of just, they don't even look at them. They just kind of, and they keep walking, right? And what Peter and John do that's different in this scenario is they stop and they look directly at them. That's what the text says. And it's worth mentioning because the text says it, right? He says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And he says, look at us, right? Look at me. Look over here. Pay attention. I got something to tell you. And instead of offering money, which is what the beggar was expecting, he got something much more than that, right? And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, and this is awesome, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I want you to picture what's going on in this story. This lame man has never in his life walked before. We take advantage of this all the time because we can walk. But he has never walked in his entire life. And Peter walks up to him and he says, In the name of Jesus, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he literally walks up to him, clasps his hand, and thrusts him up. And as he's thrusted up, he probably feels a little creaking, a little... <laughs> That's the sound I make in my head when that happens. And he's... Standing. He's never walked in his entire life, and here he is. He's just, he's standing. And maybe for us, it's hard for us to picture the, the awesomeness of that story, but the guy had never walked in his life, and he's standing here. And he's like, oh. And what does he do in response? He starts running. 
He's like, yeah, well, I just learned how to walk. Why not just go full board? He bolts for the temple. Because at this point, it's worth mentioning that he's never been able to enter the temple before because he couldn't get in there, and no one was going to carry him in there. And so he's been healed, and Peter does this, this amazing thing. He heals someone. And it's flashy, right? It's in your face. You see it. You witness it. You witness a man get healed. But the story goes on. I, and, and the reason that I did the whole chapter is because they're, they're connected. People notice. Like people have been going in and out of this temple their whole lives. And they notice, hey, wait a minute. That's the guy. That's the lame guy that I give coins to sometimes. And he's... He's walking. That's crazy. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I know that guy. He's, he's never walked, ever. And there he is. He's running around. What's going on? Oh, he's hanging out with these two guys over here. And they gather around. They gather around Peter and John, and they're like, whoa, all right, what's happening? Why is this guy walking? They're asking questions. And so Peter decides to address them. And what Peter's going to do is he's, well, let's just... Peter's going to be Peter. I don't know if you remember his first sermon, but he was pretty blunt in that first sermon, and now he's going to do it again. He's very blunt, in fact. And so he addresses them, and he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by, my own, by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Right? And so, first of all, he, he deflects the glory that's coming his way. Pretty smart of him, right? Because he could have easily done what most <clears throat> healer preachers do today. And I will point out, they're rather quiet right now during this pandemic. Coincidence? I think not. Anyways, that was just an aside. But he deflects the glory. He goes, no, 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 no. That wasn't us. Like, why are you looking at us as if we have some kind of power? No, that wasn't us. And he goes into this long Essentially, for what the Jews would understand, he, he goes into this long argument sermon where he, he's saying, it wasn't us who healed him, but it was the God you worship who healed him through this servant, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one you had been expecting. Like, you expected something different, and Christ was the Messiah. You have missed him, Jews, wake up. And that's what he's doing. He's arguing for Christ to Jews. And he's rather blunt, Right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Right? I mean, there's some really blunt, uh, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And he's being very blunt with them because most of the people going in and out of this temple would have been a part of the same crowd that was chanting crucify during Christ's crucifixion. They would have been there. They would have seen that. And, and so he's being blunt, right? He's confronting them. He's saying, hey, the Jesus whom you killed, the Christ whom you crucified, the one you denied, you let a murderer go over him, the holy and righteous one, right? He gets even more blunt, and he says, and you killed the author of life. It's pretty blunt, right? How would you like it if someone told you you did that? Feel good about yourself? Probably not. Right? Whom God raised from the dead. And, and so what Peter is doing as he preaches this sermon 
is he is using the miracle of the lame man walking to point towards Christ, to point towards the gospel. He's not getting lost in the miracle. He's not getting uh, focused on just the miracle itself. Because let's be honest, the lame man, what eventually happens to him? Same thing that happens to all of us, right? He eventually dies. As miraculous and awesome as it was that the lame man got to walk and jump and stand and run around for the first time, he'd never experienced that as amazing and in your face and as it was, right? It was, it was only at the end of the day temporary. And so what Paul, or sorry, what Peter did is that he used this miracle, this healing to point towards something deeper, to point towards something better, and that is the gospel And he says that the only reason that the lame man was able to walk, well, it says in in verse 16, and his name by the faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And that faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. The only reason that the lame man had the miraculous ability to walk when he previously couldn't was because of Christ. See what he's doing? He's deflecting glory from himself. He's like, no, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. Jesus was the reason that he's walking right now. The Jesus whom you killed. Right? And so we look at the story, and Peter's confronting the Jews in a blunt way, and he's saying, hey, this, this Messiah, he came. The one you were expecting, he came, and you killed him. But that's not it, right? And God raised him from the dead. And and then in the next section he goes, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. Right? And so he almost goes from confronting them to consoling them a little bit. Right? He, He goes from being like, Hey, wake up. You killed the Messiah. But God raised him from the dead. And let's be real, you guys, you guys didn't know that's what you were doing, right? Like, you didn't realize when you said, crucify, that you were cr- killing your creator. Like you didn't realize that, right? And so he's consoling them. And then he says what I think is, well, just an awesome verse. In verse 19, he says, repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And, and so what's he saying here? He's saying, you want to be like the lame man, the healed lame man? Put your faith in Christ. You want to you repent. You know what repent means? It means to turn away from your sin and to turn towards Christ and put your faith and your trust in him. He brings refreshing and healing And he puts you in the presence of God, right? You notice that the text mentions specifically that when the lame man was healed, where did he run to? He ran into the temple, which for the Jews was running into the presence of God. And Peter's saying, he did that. In Christ, you get that. When you put your faith in Christ, you get to be in the presence of God. And so he goes from confronting them to consoling them, to pleading with them, to saying... And, and, and really, through the rest of the text, he's, he's arguing that all of the Old Testament was pointing, ultimately, to Jesus. That all of the Old Testament law was fulfilled in Christ. 
He quotes Moses. He quotes Isaiah. He quotes the Old Testament minor prophets and the major prophets. He does it all, and he does it all pointing towards Christ as this Messiah, the Messiah they had uh, been waiting for. He had come. And then you notice at the end of the story, he offers salvation to the Jews first, right? Like that's why Peter's in the temple. Peter's a Jew. And he's going, guys, Jesus was it. And now he, like even though you killed him, God used that and raised him from the dead to make true salvation possible for you. Now Jews, repent. And then the story ends, right? And and then in the next chapter, some people get mad at him and put him in prison. Because they're not big fans of the resurrection, which we'll get covered next week. I won't get into it. I'm already taking too long as it is. And, and so what do we do with all this, right? I just walk through the story of Peter healing a lame man and then preaching to a crowd and pointing that healing towards the greatest healing, the healing gospel. That's what I titled this sermon. I just titled the sermon The Healing Gospel because this gospel is ultimately about healing the broken and the sick. And, and, and so a few things just as application or, or to challenge us this morning. The biggest thing that jumped out at me in this text as I was studying this week was the, re, the response of the layman when he got healed. Um, he was excited, right? He rejoiced. He praised God. He was like, I'm healed! Like, I, I like try to picture it. I like try to imagine myself as a person who's never been able to walk. And I try to imagine this, the sensation and the feeling of my legs actually feeling again. And, and all of a sudden my muscles and my, my bones work correctly. And I'm trying to imagine what that's like. And I'm like, like I, I would be so overjoyed and ecstatic, Right? And, and I couldn't get past that thought because, and this can be dangerous. Um, at times, it's not the best idea to over-allegorize uh, a narrative text. And what I mean by that is sometimes if we spend our time reading the Bible and inserting ourselves into it, that, that we're missing the point. And, and the biggest point of this text that I want to point out, bluntly, this text is Peter preaching the gospel, the full message of the gospel, to the Jews to plead for them to come to Christ. Because that's, that, that's the completion of the Old Testament, is Jesus. And he uses this miracle, this in-your-face miracle, to point towards something better. Right? In the same way, I would argue that maybe if you watch a movie, right, you watch a movie, it's in your face, you get to see it, it's instantaneous, it's easy to process because you're witnessing it, and then move to the book, I'm always going to argue the book is better because the book goes deeper and it takes more time to mull it over and it takes, right? And so in the same way, Peter is pointing towards something deeper by showing them the miracle of the healing of the lame man. Does that make sense? But another thing that I think is worth pointing out, and again, well, whatever, I'll just say it. I think at times we need to be willing to look at ourselves as the lame man. We're all the lame man. We're all lame. That's what I'm trying to tell you guys this morning. Let's pray. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, but, but isn't it true? Look at the layman's life. He has spent his life 
begging for alms, begging for money, begging for temporary things that aren't going to really bring the healing that he actually needs, right? And it wasn't until Christ came and saved him and healed him through the power of the gospel that he actually came to life and he was renewed and restored and he was able to walk. If you are in Christ this morning, you are the healed lame man. And the question I have for you is how are you responding to that? Coming to church on another Sunday? Well, I came to church in the cold, Jeremy, so you know how overjoyed I am for the Lord, right? Or, you know, you're watching on Facebook Live, which is awesome, by the way. I'm glad you're here. But the point is, are you the healed layman? If you are in Christ, you are. And if you are in Christ, then our response needs to be rejoicing and worship of God. Because he's real. He's a reality. He's there. And he has actually healed us. Again, the actual healing of the lame man is only a temporary thing. It's like a movie. It's in your face. You see it. You witness it. Then it's done. Because what happens? Well, the lame man eventually dies, as do we all, right? But the beauty of the gospel is, is that we are not just healed now, here and now, though that is true, but we're healed into eternity, and like the layman, we can run into the presence of God. We get to run into the presence of a Father who loves us and has saved us and made us His sons and daughters. He has healed our broken legs and given us the ability to run to Him. Now we can go into the presence of God, just like the layman was able to do once he was healed. So, so that's one thought or application or challenge that popped out at me as I, as I walked through this text. Be the healed lame man, people. All right? The other thing is, is we, we see... Actually, I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to go with this one. All right? Sorry. Don't mind me. You can notice a few things about Peter and John as we walk through this story at the beginning of the church. And there's a couple things that are worth pointing out as we walk, walk through this story. One, Peter and John were together. Now, John didn't do much talking in this story. Peter did it all. But John was there the whole time with him. And that kind of a call, that's kind of a callback to when Jesus said, go out two by two. Right? And maybe for us as the church today, we need to remember that we're called to do this together. You're not, you're not you know... We live in a culture that's so individualistic that we, we lose sight of this. We lose sight of the beauty of the beginning of a church. Because the church wasn't just a bunch of individuals cramming into a building to worship God on their own terms or however you want to look at it. No. It was a people together. And we're called to do this together. So as the church people, do this together. I love community, though I am naturally the type of person who tries to do everything by myself. And I am learning to love community because it helps me to admit that I can't. And every time I try to do things on my own, I fall on my face. Trust me, ask my wife sometimes. Most of my attempts to live apart from God and others end in failure and in sin. And so the beauty of seeing Peter and John going out and doing the work of the Lord together was that they were together. And as the church, we are called to do the same thing. We're called to do this together. We're not at it alone. 
And then the last thing, and I'll close. Peter preached the full gospel, right? He didn't just preach the friendly part. He confronted He confronted the sin of the Jewish people by missing their Messiah. We are called to preach a full gospel as well. We are called to say, hey, um, one of my my favorite, uh, is it Reformed Puritan quote? I can't even remember who said it. But he said, uh, the only thing you bring to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Right? Jesus had to come and die on the cross to save us because of our sin. Peter preached a gospel that confronted sin, which means that we as the church are called together to confront sin. That's a part of the full message of the gospel. Jesus didn't die for a bunch of good people. No, he died for a bunch of wicked people, of one I am the worst of, all right? He preached a full gospel, but it it doesn't just end there. The beauty of the gospel, too, is is that it doesn't just confront, but it comforts, right? Because what does it ultimately bring? It brings healing. We are healed. We are set on a new path. We are made into new creatures. We are made into a new creation. We're put from being individual, independent, all by ourselves, and we're plucked out of that noise, and we're put into a community. We're put into a family. We're put into the church. We are a part of Christ. Like Christ is our, is our groom, right? He's our husband. I know boys don't like that analogy, but it's true. We're in a relationship with him now. How beautiful is that? God the Father is our dad, right? And so as we go out, um, maybe one bit of, of, of application is, yes, we are called to do the work of, of helping the needy, helping the poor, right? Bringing healing to the people who need it. But we're also called to preach the gospel because that's the best news in the world. Because, again, it's awesome that the lame man got healed, but he's still going to die eventually. And he's still going to have to stand before God. That's the grim reality of it all. And so we're called not only to just serve people, but we're called to serve them by preaching the love of Christ and the gospel, the full gospel. All right, let's go before the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Uh, We just ask that you would uh, confront our hearts as we look at the gospel message. Confront our hearts and help us to, um, to, to, to be challenged by it. Bring us to repentance if need be. But also restore us and remind us that our identity isn't found in just our sin, but it's found in you and who you are and what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for your word. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, have a good week, guys.